0: You are listening to the Cast.
1: Hey climbers, that rock that you lovingly caress every weekend is just never going to love you back. Of course, it's never going to suddenly ask you what you're thinking right now either. But devoting even a tenth of that energy into an actual human relationship might be a better bet in terms of love and companionship no matter what your alpinist friends say. Peter W. Gilroy is here to help. Climber and jewelry maker, Peter can hook you up with just the right gift for that human in your life who just smiles when you get home late from the crag, or who is still belaying you even though you're falling lower and lower on your proj. Inspired by the rocks we climb and the mountains we love, Peter's jewelry and accessories might be just the thing to convince your significant other that you're not an obsessive, crazy person in love with inanimate objects. So go to peterwgilroy.com and enter Enormo at checkout for a discount on art you can wear, and to help the enormicast. You know, there's too many ways that ice climbing is miserable. The screaming barfies somehow being sweaty and freezing at the same time, and the Norwegian death metal your partner is cranking on the dark drive to the trailhead. But with help from Sportiva, your boot performance and the comfort of your precious piggies can be resolutely checked off the blood-scrawled manifesto of ice climbing horrors. From big routes to next-gen tech climbing, Sportiva has created a line of futuristic mountain boots with old-school reliability and durability. So let's face it, at some point in the day, you're going to moan with pain. But let's make sure it's not because of your feet. Swipe right to sportiva.com or your nearest high-end climbing retailer to slip your hooves into a pair of these majestic boots. And remember, when you support Sportiva, you support the EnormaCast. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in we are, are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, oh yeah, the big place, that a big place. Nice. That's a big place. You sold it out. I'll say. We You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed playing with you. We'll make I don't think so. But we shall continue with style.
0: Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment. With support from Maxim Ropes.
1: And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com. And entry Norma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the EnormaCast.
0: And now back to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to the EnormaCast. This is your host, Chris Galoos. It is about 9.30 here in Colorado, November 16th. And this is episode 140 of the EnormaCast, a conversation with Boulderer Nale Hukatival. And I'll tell you right now, that's pretty goddamn close to how he pronounced it himself. And I know I've got a standard American mouth, you know, thick-jawed, filled to the brim with contradictions about freedom and tyranny, but I do my best to wrap it around some of these alien phonemes. So, how's it going out there, everybody? Just checking in, checking in a little bit. Coming up for breath here in Carbondale after some very rough seas and uh, just, you know, getting into the dark time here in the fall. Not looking forward to it. Don't love the sooner setting of the sun, but I'm going to do my best. Going to do my best to avoid seasonal something disorder. What's that called? See, that's how much I'm avoiding it. I don't even know what it's called. Not going to think about it anymore. All right, let's get to this interview. It's another sort of out-of-the-box interview for the EnormaCast. Not not really a different subject because we are talking about climbing again, unlike last episode with Joe Grant, the mountain runner. But, uh, but you know, we're really getting into bouldering. And the longtime listeners know that that's, Not my wheelhouse, although I'd love interviewing folks that want to talk about it. But the really crazy thing on this one is that we spend much of this episode, much of this interview, at least half of it, and then looping around again and again talking about a single boulder problem, a relatively small boulder problem. And if you guys know about Nale, then you know what I'm talking about the burden of dreams, the V17, the only. graded v17 in the world currently not repeated probably will be a little while since it's stuck in a forest in finland not exactly a destination bouldering area but uh, maybe some folks will get excited about it and head up there but it took nolly years and years and years to do this problem said it's just a handful of moves and if you watch the video which i've linked on the post here for this uh this interview you You'll you'll see that it's actually, yeah, it's not a lot of moves. It's actually a pretty small boulder problem, but looks heinous, absolutely heinous. And in fact, it may be best if you have a moment to go check that out before we even start talking here, if you you have a chance to do that. If you're driving somewhere, please don't do that. Anyway, take my word for it, short, viciously difficult boulder problem that we spend a lot of time on here because it's currently rated anyway, the uh, hardest thing in the world which makes it probably the hardest little chunk of rock climbing in the world. Not been confirmed. Nobody's repeated it. Uh, People, I think, have climbed on it that would know. And, um, you know, it had its own bit of controversy when he slapped that grade on it. But it's one of those things where, kind of like Andra and Sharma in, in sport climbing, Nale ought to know what V17 should feel like. So we'll see how that all plays out in the next couple few years if somebody gets up there and repeats it. But of course, the important thing isn't necessarily what it's graded. In essence, what really is important is the process that Nale and the dark tunnel that he went down to get this thing done. You know, he's clearly one of the top boulders in the world, one of the handful of people that could possibly even do this problem. And it took him so long compared to things that he's done before that uh, he, you know, He had bouts of depression and maybe even a little lick of insanity during the attempts to do this problem over the years. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting insight into hard bouldering. The hardest of bouldering, really. But that's what we get into, so it's pretty cool. I like these sorts of interviews. I learn a ton from them. I try not to act too stupid in front of the person because I don't even know if Nala knew who the hell I was. He agreed to be on the show. I don't know if he knew what he was getting into. And then after the interview... I couldn't help but thinking just how absurd the whole thing was. This little overhanging piece of rock in a forest somewhere. And this guy puts that much effort into it. Almost loses his mind. Years of his life. So much time. So much effort. So much emotion. And for what? I don't know. It's pretty absurd. I mean, all of our climbing is absurd. And I think that bouldering, just like it's the essence of climbing in a lot of ways, it's the essence of absurdity too. Try explaining it to your friends that don't climb. Yeah, they're not going to get it. But good on you, Nale, Hukatival for keeping the dream alive, pun intended, this absurd dream that we all participate in, because really all of our climbing pursuits are pretty absurd, dumb, silly. But I can't help but think that we're wired for this sort of thing. You know, when simple survival is no longer the issue, I think humans are wired for these esoteric pursuits into self discovery. Otherwise where would art come from? It's also a pretty good argument that climbing might be a little bit of art. And speaking of art, the Burden of Dreams is also an incredible documentary about Werner Herzog, the German filmmaker. I've found Werner to be a balm for the times lately. So yeah a little bit of extra time go check that out too. Alright let's get to a conversation with Nale Hukatival. Are you the kind of person who likes things smooth and simple, like wearing tomorrow's clothes to bed or going commando no matter the occasion? Then you might like Black Diamond's new ATC Pilot, a cleanly designed belay device for single-pitch projecting with smooth payout and assisted braking for when your climber is sitting on the rope muttering about the humidity-slash-dryness-slash-cold-slash-heat. Lightweight and no moving parts, the ATC Pilot is so simple it once fell in love with a snail, Check it out at BlackDiamondEquipment.com or better yet, your favorite local climbing shop. And remember, Black Diamond loves the EnormaCast. Uh, you just said that you're uh, you sort of consider yourself an international citizen. How much time do you actually spend... In Finland, in terms of your roots, is there climbing there
0: there's good climbing bouldering uh, mainly which yeah. is probably a big reason why I'm actually bouldering most most of the time but yeah, we have excellent bouldering, really well classed stuff. It's all spread around. You need to, like, find it. It's not, not any big areas. It's not, like, Fontainebleau or anything. You mm-hmm. know, there's, like, one boulder here. You drive a couple minutes. There's another boulder with a few block, a few boulders on it, and, like, it goes to the next one. So it's all spread around. But for sport climbing, we don't have any mountains. Like, there's a few sport cliffs that are actually pretty decent for what they are, but very limited. Like are we said, talking about, like,
1: uh, kind of continental shelf granite up there, like... Like the like all the Scandinavia kind of
0: area, what what kind of rock is it? Mm, it's mainly like pretty glacier polished. Really like hard granite, like yeah, super, super that's hard what I was granite. Thinking, yeah. A lot of like cracks and little features of mm-hmm. just like this impeccable rock face with like a few like scars in it, like cracks, and sometimes you'll get like crimps and bigger features, but like super bullet rock. Because um, mm-hmm. it's like we used to have the tallest mountain range in the world before the ice ages, and now there's nothing like we don't actually have anything that <laughs> qualifies as a mountain anymore. Like right. it used to be twice as tall as Mount Everest, now it's all gone. It's just all scattered into little boulders. Because Of the ice edges, we don't even have a mountain that's a thousand meters tall. Okay, like the tallest one we have way up in the north, it's like barely under 1,000 meters. So it's all flat, but like obviously that rock went somewhere and it's all scattered into little boulders in the forest, and that's Mm -hmm. that's what we're climbing on now. So, let me let me ask you a question about um,
1: your let's say let's take kind of your last year, tell me about. The, the places you've been, what is like a year in your life right now look like in terms, again, in terms of this idea of, of this international citizen, this person that's, that doesn't see, doesn't know borders, goes where he wants to go to, you know, presumably to climb.
0: Well, I think my life changed pretty radically in the last year because I was working on Burning of Dreams, this project that I invested four years into. And I was systematically going back to Finland to work this, like, every season. So, like, every spring, I'd be there three months. Every fall, I'd be there three months, Mm -hmm. just investing all my time into it. And once the weather got bad, I'd just be out and, like, traveling around. But I was, like, systematically going back to this. And now I just ended up climbing it last season. So, my life changed pretty radically. It's not a reason to go back anymore. Mm -hmm. So, now I've been hundreds and hundreds of hours on the airplane just going one place to another like even the last I just did the math like the last two months I've spent almost 120 hours on the airplane just going from country to another like pretty hectic schedule so I think my life changed pretty radically after having done this project because that was like a big guiding light in my life we can say something to always go back to everything revolved around this one thing and now it's done so I'm like finally able to travel freely again. And, and that was that, in
1: something you found in Finland? Yes. That was in Finland. And you, how long between finding it or conceiving of climbing it and, and climbing it, was it?
0: Uh, I think it ended up being just about four years. Oh, wow. Um, which is something totally unheard of in the bouldering scene. Like, no top climber has ever invested this amount of energy into a single climb, which makes it really unique. Um, but living in this bubble of every moment of the season you're there working on it, that's like the only thing you live in three months in a row. It feels like 10 years on its own. And then you leave for like a few months and come back again for another season, leave, come back. And it's always everything that's in the back of your mind, even if you're traveling. So it ended up being... A pretty, pretty huge thing in my life that was just everything was revolving around it. All the travel. I love traveling. I love going to new places and had to sacrifice all that just to be here for this one thing to like try to get it done and go back and go back and go back. It's a pretty mental process. But Did, you, did it ever feel unhealthy? Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. It felt unhealthy at a lot it of times I mean it ended up actually. ended up and ended up ending like injuries a lot of times because you're like pushing it too hard to just don't have it that season you just can't get quite there but you just keep going back and back and back and the weather keeps getting warmer and whatever and like just ended up in injury just trying to like bang your head against the wall and like just just not working out and you just don't quite have it yet and like the next season coming back doing the same over and over and like for sure it wasn't necessarily the healthiest thing but at the same time i think it's through battles like this that you really grow as a person and Mm -hmm. like learn to see what's truly like what you're capable of going beyond like what's like what you can see was impossible, and how far you can go beyond it. Like it just felt so hopeless for years and years, and then you manage to overcome that. I think that's like something that goes to really define you as a person. God, it sounds uh, that uh, it sounds insane, actually. Just I think insane. About it, like, I mean, like I even like made I mean, a lot. Not, of, not literally, but like no, I think literally. Yeah. Just about like I mean, I made a lot of posts about it because you know a lot of people were following the process, and like that was a famous quote that I. Made in one of my posts, like Einstein once said, the the definition of insane, the definition of insanity, like you just said, it is doing something over and over and over and expecting different results. And that's exactly what I was doing for years and years. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you can for sure say that that's exactly insanity, but something came out of it. So
1: So, was there anything you could point to uh, different about the season you did it? In you, in the weather or anything, or Um, or did it just sort of come together for a moment?
0: A lot of things. I think it was kind of beyond a point because, you know, there had been kind of steady progress every season, you know, like at the end of the season, at least you can tell yourself that I managed to do this little link here that I haven't been able to do before. Like, at least you could tell yourself that you did some little thing that was Mm -hmm. new. Mm -hmm. Like, you didn't just walk away with nothing. But then there was a season when I just simply didn't do anything that I hadn't done the seasons before. So it was starting to go downhill and you've invested years, years and years and seasons of your lifetime to like work at this thing. And all of a sudden, like all your efforts, it's still going downhill. So for sure, it, the mental factor became like a big big thing with it. I think the season when I did do it, it was like coming after this season where I actually did worse than the previous seasons. So, it kind of felt like I had nothing to lose, you know, at least trying to get back to the level that I was two seasons ago. And I think with just about every single hardest end I've ever done, I think many people can agree. It's always like you get to this mindset of, I wouldn't say not caring, but maybe just this like, I don't know, It's it's really hard not to care. Yeah, yeah, no, no, outcome. i know. like, that's right. what really in sports and many things in life ends up screwing you in the end, because you care too much about the outcome. And of course, you care about something that's like basically your life goal, and you have worked towards your entire career and life almost. So how do you not care about it? How do you not like stress out about it in the moment? And to get to that mindset where you just have blank mind and don't care about the outcome too much, it's really, really hard to get there. So I think you have to go through this kind of ups and downs to somehow arrive at this moment where you're just just kind of happy to be there and just in the moment and not thinking about whether it's going to work out or not, because you're just happy to be there. And I feel like once you do get to that moment and you do have the physical strength that it takes to do it, I think that's when things happen. And sure. That's like a common factor with all the hard sense I think most people have done.
1: Yeah, well, it is it's like a really great philosophy. I mean, you hear it all the time like be in the moment, don't care about the outcome. But yeah. you're right, like the you know, those those monks have to sit in monasteries on their knees, you know, for years to get there. So it's it's very good on paper, so to speak. Oh, this idea, right? it's extremely easy in theory <laughs> but, yeah. to just be like,
0: just have a blank mind and don't think about the mm-hmm. outcome. But then there's the subconscious mind that doesn't really do what you tell it to do. So you have to like get there somehow. Tell me the name again. Burden of dreams.
1: Burden of dreams. So what did it look like when you did it? What happened? What did did
0: you just like? <laughs> That's the thing. That's the go thing. get an like, ice we cream were... and call it a day, or. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, even from, like, a filming perspective, I always knew that it was going to be, like, not anything magical when it does happen. Like, it was just going to be, like, it's done. Sure. Well, and, it's a boulder you know, problem. I mean, how many moves is it? It's just about f- six hand moves and sure. some foot moves. And that's it. So, it's it. either going to happen or you
1: fall off. Like, yeah. And,
0: like, right? like, it's, like, in the moment when it does happen, it's super anticlimactic in a way. It just happens. And it's, like, you're operating it such a high level that you don't have any margin of error. Like anything goes wrong, you're off. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's never really any fighting going on. You just kind of do it. And I think we had guys filming it for years on end and they had a very different attitude about what they wanted to make the film, like how they wanted to tell the story. And I wanted to tell the story in a way where like the outcome doesn't really matter. Like it's someone like, working at their like big dream for years on end and it doesn't really in the and doesn't really matter if he did do it or not either way like i told them like they were going to put the film out at some point anyway Maybe I'll never do this. Who knows? But we're still going to make a film, It's still going to be an interesting film. Like maybe it's going to have a sad ending. Like maybe I'll never <laughs> do it. Just waste five years of my life and just never do it. But that has a lot of value, I think, too. Sure, no, totally. And, and I, you know, the the word waste, you could, you know, there's debate on that too. Yeah, so so the growth and all that sort of thing. However, you did do it. I did do it, and in the end, it looks super anticlimactic. Like people just like put the put the little. Cl- Whatever, like twenty-second clip of me doing it online, and it just looks like V five. Like that's the thing. Like when you don't see the process, you don't see what's behind it. You don't see the years of hard work. It just looks like another V five, and that's why I don't really like making climbing videos like that. Just don't don't show the process. They just show the outcome. Just sure. the outcome means very little without any pretext to it. Certainly, yeah.
1: Because you're right. If if on that kind of climbing, you're not struggling. Because
0: you struggle. You no, the struggle yeah. is like yeah. the years leading up to it and like when the moment finally comes, it's just you're not even there. Like it's just total automation. Like you're like barely mm-hmm. present when mm-hmm. it happens, you know. Mm-hmm. You just kind of wake up on top of the boulder and that's it. All right. Well, what about the next day? Uh, the next day? <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, I mean, um, like is there a point at which, you know, there was a relief in your head? I mean, what was cuz i'm just like i'm i don't know if i've ever talked well obviously you just said this like no one's ever done this before in turn i mean the dawn wall in a sense in bouldering i said yeah, i mean it, it has no, been certainly, done yeah and I, i'm not saying that uh, comparing you i'm just saying i'm trying to think of of other things where that was there was so much leading up to it and, and time in particular um, but man i just it's it's i'm really interested in this because again like <clears throat> You know, Paul Robinson talked to me a lot about the what I should be looking for in terms of success in bouldering and, and one of the reasons maybe I don't like it is that those successes are so small at times mm-hmm. and like you said, you've, you've figured out one little extra, you hung on to a hold for a little longer, one extra move a season, you were ecstatic and that's the kind of thing that I have trouble with, right? Sure, sure. So, I'm trying to kind of think about this process that you're going through and... And uh and then yeah, what it what happened afterwards, like because I I've mentioned on here before, I mean, red pointing and all these things have
0: this anticlimactic flavor to them, you know, usually. But at least in sport climbing and on longer routes, you're usually present when you're doing it. Mm It's like, oh my God, like I'm doing it. Like last clip, like getting to the chain, like you're there, you're kind of like celebrating already, like before having done it, you know, (laughs) you're like, it's happening, like it's happening, like you're enjoying it in the moment. But I think on hard boulders like that, you're barely even present, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, you just like wake up after the fact and that's when the reality starts hitting you. But yeah, there's a difference but I think like as a professional athlete and like this is something that you only would pursue at like a really high level. So I don't see most like V3 climbers like investing years and years and years to doing their first V4, you know? It's something that you like... That'd would, be
1: a story. Would... I want to interview that guy if you
0: did. <laughs> if you're out there, sir, you have to come on the cast too. But anyway, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> but if you were like you would only do this kind of at a later stage in your career i would Mm -hmm. say like this is as a pro climber you know like you said like bouldering can be pretty anticlimactic when you do have the level to do these things it can get kind of boring like i mean like v13 nowadays like it's totally flashable we can flash v13s 12s all day and it can totally be done and it's like you're doing something hard but how hard can it be if you can just like sit down and just go up a rock like i mean sure that's impressive but in terms of what really really is hard, it's not really there. So it's just like an illusion of hard. And I think it can get pretty boring with bouldering because even the hardest things in the world, I think the most time I've ever invested into a single climb before this one was 13 days. And okay. that's like somehow I feel like a pretty universal time that most top boulders invest. Like Somehow the 13 days seems to be kind of like a magical like mental breaking point, I'd say. It's kind of like 13 days, you know, that sounds not a lot of time. But in the end, with all the rest days when you're climbing on something really hard, you have to take several rest days, maybe there's bad weather, so that 13 days translates into like, say, like a month and a half almost. Mm-hmm. And if you're like a month and a half just singularly focused on one thing, you know, that does feel like a really, really long time. And mm-hmm. after that 13 days, it really like starts becoming... More and more mental every single time. And I think a lot of people just can't quite handle it. You know, maybe they do have the physical aspect that it takes to climb it, but the mental aspect is always there. The doubt is building and building every time after that. And I think there is something to it. And it becomes the mental factor, really, I think becomes the limiting factor after that. And most people nowadays are so focused on the physical aspect. Like how many one arm pull ups can you do? Like what can you do in the gym? Like can you campus like 159? And it's so based on like the physical aspect, but what people I don't feel like recognize nowadays so much is that it doesn't matter how strong you are, you're gonna hit that mental limit at some point. Mm-hmm. And if you just don't have the mental fortitude, like no amount of strength is really gonna get you through it. Like you're still gonna have to deal with the mental aspect. And if that's limiting your how you apply your physical strength, then you're kinda screwed. So there's a balance. Obviously you need a high level of physical strength to begin with, but at some point there's kind of like a breaking point where you start being hindered by the mental aspect and then you have to focus on that.
1: Well, I just compared it to, you know, the Donwall. Again, more because of the time, the amount of time and, and that was several years also, or you know, put in over, over time. And what you just said is interesting because that's one thing that really strikes me about Tommy in person is that he can be, he's genuine and and, uh, just a very sweet guy, but you can just tell there's like, he's got this thing and it's, it's a mental, whatever it is, he exudes it like you see it. And, and, and that's what got him through that. Mm -hmm. Now in that story of his and also i just i just talked to um carla traversi about his when he started climbing it was this this uh this summer where his parents got divorced and we started talking about like well how did that fit into it because he was only 14 and then tommy went through a lot of rough times and that actually like kept him on the wall in a sense like he was up there as as a way to escape all this stuff that was going on with his marriage and things like that. Did you did you have anything up up and like keeping you
0: there in terms of that, or was it just purely focused on trying to trying to do a a boulder problem? I've invested most of my all of my adult life and most mm-hmm. of my life to bouldering and like gotten up to the level where you know you've never really fully invested all you have into a single client. Sure. Like, with the 13-day thing that I said, like, that's not all you can possibly do, even though it may feel like it at the time. But, and as you get better and better and further in your climbing career, like, you seek out these things that are really, truly going to test you. And I think when you do finally find something that you can, like, really invest everything do you have on and, like, you don't know whether you're not going to do it or not, but it's all there, you can tell that it can be done. It's like... I mean that's the thing with boulders. I mean with roots it's pretty easy to tell that it's definitely possible if you can mm. do all the, all the moves. But with boulders if you can't even do all the moves, it's hard to tell like how far you are. Like if you like how do you tell how far you are on a move that you can't do for years, like <laughs> and that's the thing with boulders that with a root Oh man, that's what I'm that's what I'm like. I'm like digging my brain into listening to you.
1: How how does it?
0: Yeah. Again, like it goes back to the mental aspect more and more that like there's so much more doubt involved. Like maybe on a route, you know, you keep going back and you get like one move further and then you come back and you get one more further and one move further. At least you're like doing climbing. But you keep going back to the boulder problem and just trying to, like, hang positions on the wall for a year and, like, not really, like, how do you stay positive? Like, how do you keep telling yourself that, like, yeah, you should go back? Like, you got this, like, when, like, all reason is telling you that, like, no, it's not really happening. It's not working out. So I think bouldering, when you push it to the limit, like, I think the mental aspect is something that people need to, like, really give a lot more credit for
1: so can i ask you that question can you answer the question wait what
0: was the question the question is is you just said is how do you keep positive how do you keep yourself oh. going back to it how did you it's something similar like you said with tommy like mm-hmm. he kind of just exudes this like inner drive and i think for me too like it's somehow there like it's just even if you're not enjoying it every day and you're kind of like what am i doing here like what do i keep going back i think there's still something inside you like driving you to go back and i think not everyone necessarily has it mm-hmm. i don't know like with some people no, no, like no. like everyone doesn't have it like no, you said with true. tommy it's really obvious right, like right. He, he just like has this spark inside and i think to a degree like i feel the same about myself like and i think that's what really enables you to just go back mm-hmm. and back when it's not really looking very positive so i don't know if i have a very like good tips how to do it. No, no. We don't need a self-help. It really comes down to like (laughs) personality and like what you really seek from your life. I mean, for me, like I've gone really far with the pursuit of bouldering and like how far I can take it and like the lessons you can learn from it. So, you know, this was kind of like something where I could truly, truly like give everything that I have to a boulder problem. and. I think even in the video, I don't know if you saw it, but I kind of explained it in a way that like at some point it went so far beyond climbing. It like didn't, I mean, most days I wasn't even doing anything that can really be called climbing. I just do maybe like one move or a couple of moves, but I'd be on the wall for like a matter of seconds, a second or two. So it's not like I was really like climbing. I was just like doing this thing and it just became this almost like a ritual and like this like, game that i was playing that was like more so to like i guess like explore your like mental limits at that Mm -hmm. point really and it felt pretty far removed from climbing it was more like this like self exploration tool at the moment i guess just to see like what your breaking point is and like how far you can really take it when like every single bit of reason is telling you that you should give up you know right it's not possible well there's, you have your conscious mind and then you have your unconscious mind and it's just a big war going on. Your unconscious is telling you what it's telling you. You don't really have much control over it. And then with the rational mind, you're trying to tell yourself that, like, you know, I'm doing moves, I'm doing links, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And trying to, like, convince yourself that you, like, have some reason to go back to your, like, improving. But when that's not really true, then it's just you can't, like, even lie to yourself really at that point.
1: Sure. Yeah, because I, yeah, I heard some study at some point that like a lot of top athletes actually have a, a pretty good ability to to lie to themselves, you know, and, and and just so they can, you know, they can get in that race or whatever it happens to be with people that on paper are clearly better than them. But they can say, you know what? There is a chance.
0: But I'd argue that these are not extreme athletes where right. there's fatal consequences because I feel like it, you can't, as a climber who's doing also dangerous climbs, lie sure, sure, to yourself. Yeah, like right, imagine right. if like Alex Honnold was just like, oh, you oh, got enough. this. Like yeah. I just <laughs> soloed free rider. Like I should maybe go for <laughs> the, the dog Wall. Right, like why right. not? You know? Right. Like you, I've got this. Mm. So you know you well, have I guess it, to be it's honest. more of that like that idea
1: of. What you just said of like telling, you know, if, if it's not lying to yourself, it's more of like, you know, I guess a little mental trick in, in the sense of like, well, I did get I did actually hang on to that for a little while, or I
0: did feel better on that hole today. Yeah. Some know? little things. Yeah. Like something to like to hold on at least to. tell yourself that you there might be something in the darkness.
1: <laughs> this is awesome. I, I wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't so esoteric, the, the idea of bouldering is, in terms of a mainstream audience. Because this, the stuff you're talking about right now, we could be talking about so many other things but like we're talking about climbing this little boulder
0: and... I and find it pretty entertaining too that as a pro climber, you know, I have the ability to travel anywhere in the world that I want at any time. <laughs> could be climbing on Mount you're, Everest you're or it could be in Redicon on big walls or it could be in the Grampians, mm-hmm. climbing on Taipan, Wall, wherever, any cliff you can mention in the world. But I choose to be climbing under this little four-meter rock in a dark forest. That's really what I choose to do. And <laughs> some days it's really hard to understand why, but some reason that I can't explain.
1: I didn't I didn't know we were going to walk
0: into this. This is awesome. But uh,
1: because, yeah, it, I don't know why, but I, I just feel like we're in this... Right now, and I don't know when this will come out, but the the just to time stamp this, which I don't usually like to do, but yeah, Alex Honnold just just sold the free rider what, last weekend? so A little less than a week ago. So, everybody's freaking out about that. And yet, I find this story here that's, again, if it wasn't so esoteric, it would be just as compelling because it has a lot of the same aspects. The death thing, not so much, but um, because I don't know. Be hard to probably die off the boulder, but but all these other mental things—it's just—it's really insane. And and I, um yeah, I'm I'm always just trying to grasp this this thing that burns inside of you, boulderer guys, especially people like you. Now, if you if you were you were just talking about how like you know five or B thirteen or or these grades that are are definitely high, but not that big a deal for you. Now this progression. And we definitely have a high point in your career and maybe in, like you said, in, in terms of dedication and bouldering in general, what happens now? Like, <laughs> and again, I guess I asked you a question earlier, kind of like, well, what about the next day? And, and what I was really getting at is that, yeah, what about the aftermath? What about so the, in the moment the, the boulder problem went down flawlessly because it had to. And you just said well my life changed great that's how we started this conversation my life changed huge because i did this thing and it and all of a sudden i'm allowed to go do other things <laughs> so yeah well i mean you could you imagine doing something like this again or are we what's going to happen i mean is that weird and worrisome or uh,
0: i mean right now definitely pretty cashed out on that um It's been really good to just be able to travel. Like I said, I had to sacrifice so much for this. Normally, I travel a lot. And the last four years investing into this, like I've had to cut down on that pretty radically. So just right now, it's been really good for me to be able to travel around and just like climb on a lot of established boulders, go to some new areas I've never been to, which is pretty rare for me that I get to go somewhere with hard established boulders just to go and have fun on. So for a moment, being I think everything in life goes in this kind of waves and ups and ups and downs. Like you can't just go one direction on a like short straight line. It's always like this little waves of up and down. So I think right now, for sure, like gearing up for like the next next tangent upwards. So, um, but I don't know. I've always had the mentality of trying to find something because, especially at this point in my career, like I've climbed a lot of hard boulders and. Nowadays like it means pretty little to me like even if i climb like a really impressive number it's like just another rock like if it's like you know it takes you a couple weeks a few weeks to do like it's still you've gone through the process so many times that it's still like even if it's a different boulder it's always kind of the same you're always repeating the same pattern the same process like you kind of go there you work the moves you do all the moves you do all the sections you do it in two parts and you do it and you fly Day 13, somewhere else repeat goes it down. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, it's always like a repeating (laughs) formula and it's, you know, it's fun, but once you've done it so many times over and over, you kind of want something different. And like, this was definitely very much breaking that mold. Like every tactic that I've used before did not work on it. So I had to like completely change my mental attitude and like how I approach it over the seasons. And I think that's a big part that I'm not so interested in just repeating every single hard climb there is in the world nowadays. I really want to like truly pursue something that I think, yeah, I think I want to go after something that I don't know if I can do. Okay. Like, that's really where I'm at. Like, that I just want to like see how far I can take it and then, like. I don't know. I mean, otherwise, it just you so know. So you
1: mean in bouldering or in climbing or in something else completely?
0: Um, I guess I mean mostly talking about climbing right now, but I guess that applies to real life as well. Mm-hmm. Anything in life, I mean, not really pursuing certain things in life at the moment as much as I am climbing for sure.
1: Because there's kind of like just this logistical problem of of the of the luck of finding this thing that that was you know was at the level that it needed to be to force you to do this mm-hmm. and it becomes you know it's like an it's you know it's like the rarest of rare things and so you could you could be you could spend the rest of your life and never see one again never find one again
0: there's you know? there's a few of those around i mean i have i mean i've traveled yeah around the world nonstop for the last 13 years and <laughs> Just a few in my mind that I've crossed okay. paths with, so they're there, they're you there. know, but the thing is, we only get so many years in a lifetime, and if something like this takes you four years to do, of just total pure dedication and sacrificing so many things in your life, then you're not going to get too many of these, especially something even on a higher level. Right. So, you know, the clock's ticking, like, if that's four years of your life, like, you know, and you're not going to climb something like this when you're, like, 60 again. So there's, there's only so much time, and that's the thing with a lot of the things we do. You have to always choose whether to go here and here and whether to invest in this or this, and it's always a compromise, and you just have to kind of find where your motivation lies. And also, I'm getting increasingly more... Into alpine climbing, especially like multi pitch alpine climbing, that's always been more intriguing to me than sport climbing. Per se, um, so it, it's it's really hard to decide where your motivation lies sometimes. Mm-hmm. But usually, for me, it ends up going back towards bouldering every time. Okay,
1: yeah. So, how was the? What was the sort of the um, reaction to this? Out or, or let's just keep it within your community, your friends, your cohort uh, who watched you. Uh,
0: do this, watch so you go through this? <laughs> I mean, a lot of my f- close friends, they saw me, you know, day in, day out. For sure, they tell me afterwards that I was kind of like depressed and obviously, you know, not a very happy person, just mentally and physically torturing myself. Months after months, for years, it was a hard time for me. And like even just watching the movie that we made relive that whole process, its it's a pretty... Tough process to relive those moments because I, you know, do remember going through so many depressing moments and so much doubt in every moment. It's just like fighting your, fighting your urge to just give up on it and like go to the Bahamas and have a couple pina coladas on the beach rather than like hiding under some little rock in the forest trying to do a move or two. For sure, it wasn't like the happiest time of my life, but it was always still in the moment something I wanted to keep going because I think. The most memorable things in life that we do, they're usually not necessarily the happiest things that we do in the moment at least. Right,
1: right. Radical. All right. Well let's let's move on a little bit and get away from this thing. Um, it might make you feel better. But it's <laughs> sure. awesome. That's it's it's awesome to think about. I just kinda had this idea about this circle because you grew up you were you're born and raised Finland. That's Finnish, right.
0: That's right. right.
1: Uh, and then you ended up back there on this boulder, like you said, somewhat ironically for someone who traveled the world, you found it right there. Definitely. Yeah. Um, what was it like, uh, what's, what's your upbringing like in terms of, um, I mean, in terms of everything in Finland, but also getting into climbing in a place that you, you know, we started this talking about how there's very little opportunity, at least for outdoor climbing there.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, I grew up in a pretty normal family, I'd say nothing unusual kind of went to school, didn't really... I mean, I had all kinds of hobbies when I was younger, I used to play like soccer for a little bit, baseball, got into like skateboarding and BMX quite a lot, did a lot of extreme sports we can say, wakeboarding, a lot of things to do with anything on a board really, but really got into climbing when I was 12 or 13, like we had like a sports day in school. And we had, like, different options. We could get to choose, like, what sport we want to do. And, like, one of them was to go climbing on an indoor wall. And I chose to go there and, like, really got into it. wasn't really all that good in my first days. People always asked me if I was super talented straight away. And I wouldn't say that at all. Like, some of my classmates were definitely doing better than I was. And But really got into it. I thought it was challenging and fun. And joined this youth climbing group and did it for just about a year, maybe... 10 months and then you know that was like one of the only gyms in Finland at the time you know we had like some top rope walls a couple steeper lead walls no bouldering I kind of climbed all the walls this was like back in the day you know like (laughs) a while ago forget who you're talking to (laughs) (laughs) fair point fair point but this was like in the early stages of climbing gyms in Finland and It didn't really exist that you had, like, set routes with different colors. It was kind of just holds on the wall. I guess they did have some set routes and, like... And, like, basically managed to climb all the walls that you could possibly do there. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, now what? Like, I've done all the walls. And then, like, they tried to like tell me that you can like climb up without like using that hold and without using that hold and like don't touch that hold. And I just didn't ever understand it. It was like, that's retarded. Like that's like running a marathon. Like one leg, why would I ever do that? Like, I have sure. two legs like pointless to me. So, I just quit. <laughs> Never went back. Um Quit for good. But then I think it was just about two years later, there was this pretty decent bouldering area like not far from our house maybe 20 minute bike ride and somehow we like found this little cliff that was there you know there was some existing boulders with some chalk on the wall you know we knew what chalk was because we'd climb in a gym and like one day we went there and like we didn't have a crash pad or anything just kind of trying to like scramble up these cliffs and It was pretty good. Like, we got all into it. There wasn't anyone, like, telling me that you can't, like, grab that red hold over there or, like, the blue holds off. We were just, like, trying to summit the little bouldering cliff, you know, and, like, got all scared. It was kind of high ball. We didn't have a crash pad. Like, I don't think we really made up anything. But then we eventually went and, like, bought this used crash pad from this little climbing shop, like, three of my friends all together. And, like, with this one crash pad, kind of, like, started bouldering there and, like, got all into it. And... That's when I, like, really started climbing. And it made sense to you? It, made, I mean, of course. Like, why would it not make sense, like, trying to go up? Like, there's no rules. Like, just mm-hmm. do what you have to do. And then, you know, indoor climbing started to make sense to me, too, because it was like a training tool for something, because I never knew about rock climbing. Like, I'd only climbed in the gym. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't know that there was anything else, really. The gym climbing started to make sense to me as a training tool because, like, it's long winters in Finland. There's snow everywhere. You can't climb outside. So, sure. you know, you go in the gym and you train and get really strong. And then in the spring, you can climb some harder rocks again. So it did total make total sense to me at that point.
1: When did you first start traveling?
0: Outside of Finland, I'd say, like, 17... But, I mean, I still didn't have my driver's license, so once I, like, turned 18, got my driver's license, I was pretty much out of there for good.
1: Yeah. And how was the family with uh, this pursuit of climbing? Were they interested in it, or did they were they okay with you, obsessed with it?
0: Mm, I don't know if they really got it in the first place. I don't think they ever had anything against it. Mm-hmm. just thought it was something I was into for the moment, and they probably thought it was going to pass at some point. But later on, you know, I just kept going and going, and... I don't know. It turned into a profession at some point, and I guess somewhere along the line, like they started realizing that, yeah, like maybe this does make some sense. Like,
1: how did it turn into a profession?
0: Um, through competitions, more so. Okay. Um, I won this pretty famous. So you really
1: embraced uh, indoor climbing then.
0: Um, yeah, I did. Well, finally, like I yeah, did get after, after. totally. Yeah, <laughs> no, I did get fully into it because yeah. it wasn't the only thing that there was. Like in the first place, it made no sense to me because. That was, like, the pursuit on its own. Right. And I'm like, well, there's easier ways to go up. Like, why would I not do that? But then, like, you know, just having that as a training tool more so, that made sense. But, yeah, like, the first time I won this competition called Arco Rockmasters, like, that's when I got my first sponsor, Les Partiba. It's, like, a local company, Italian. And, um, yeah, that's where it all started. And it seemed like an option. Like, it could, could all come together to keep you on the road. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was living out of my van. I had this old beat-up van and just traveling around Europe more so at that point. So it wasn't very expensive for me. Like It's not like I needed that much money in the moment anyway. Just cheap living out of my van. So, yeah. Yeah, it all worked out. So, yeah, I always ask this
1: question of boulders, but I got to do it again. So why bouldering? What is it about that pursuit? And I guess this is always a research project for me because... I've, I've just, the big thing is I've, I, I do it and it's fun, but I've never like felt that spark. And so I'm always interested to think, to talk to people for whom it, it's become this, you know, overriding obsession or the spark is always there, mm. or however you want to look at it. So of all the pursuits and I'm sh- you know, I'm sure you do them all and you're going to, going to branch out into them. But this is the one obviously you've been dedicated to for, you know, a good decade at least. So why bouldering?
0: To me, I think it's just the purest form of climbing where you get to like pursue it on all levels. You get the mental aspect of even danger and it's just so pure. You have nothing attached to you. You have to watch out for the consequences when you fall and you truly get to push your physical limits. So to me, the closest thing I would say is deeper soloing, you know, where you like have no safety device, you're not having to like deal with the logistics of having a rope and clipping beaners and like Mm. clipping the rope and having a belayer and like doing all these things you get to like focus singularly on the thing that you're actually doing so that somehow a little bit takes away from me and like I'm such a naturalist I think for many things like bolts drilling bolts onto rock to like make well I mean that's what it really is like we drill bolts onto the rock to make it climbable it's like a man made thing to enable humans to climb it for the safety aspect. Like maybe we're not pulling on the bolts to like get physical aid from them, right. but it's still human made path to be climbed unless someone like Alex comes and solos it, at sure. which point it's like a natural route almost. But to me, like that's always been a factor that takes away from it a little bit. Trad climbing I'm really into. But yeah. trad climbing is I mean, obviously more natural and sport climbing cuz you're not drilling metal bits into the rock but it's so slow usually it's very again like logistics and you're dealing with so many more things and like it really takes away from the climbing alone so i feel like with i do a lot of high ball bouldering and the consequences are there you can get seriously hurt you can die for sure and on the many boulders that we do i just feel like in like especially high ball bouldering you get all the aspects of climbing you can like really <coughs> venture into the no-fall zone and you have to keep it together and you get the physical aspect of just really pushing it to the limit that way and you can like take it really far like we just talked earlier with the really delve into like your mental limits and i just feel like that's like the full package for me and until we develop some kind of technology that you have like a drone in your back and you can just start soloing up cap and like the drone will catch you when you fall like I think until that point like bouldering will always remain my favorite and that doesn't like the the whatever mental aspect or
1: the danger aspect of of like big tall root soloing isn't
0: really ever interested you it does interest me Uh it does interest me but day after day I still keep going on bouldering trips so there's something driving me towards that but I don't know I've done some pretty hard multi-pitch routes and I really did like it. Like some of the routes, they're kind of bolted in a way that you like climb to a point and then a human just makes it call that like, this is where the pitch ends. Right. And then there's two bolts and you're just like on a hanging belay, middle of nowhere, there's not really a reason to stop there. So like that really takes away from it too for me. Sometimes it's like, you're not climbing on like natural rock features. You're just mm-hmm. climbing from one point to another and then someone decided to drill a couple Middle bits there and that's the end of pitch one so like that's always been like pretty hard for me to deal with um but definitely there's a lot of good natural routes where you go like basically like a little belay ledge to belay ledge mm-hmm. and it's obviously the ending of the pitch so does
1: where does that come from i mean what do what you like how did you end up this person versus someone you know who doesn't really see the See, the bolts is a problem. You're well, a naturalist. I think, is that something in your upbringing?
0: I think more coming... Yeah, could be. But I think more coming from the background of how I quit indoor climbing in the first place because okay. it made no sense to me. And like the whole like man-made aspect, you know, like if everything's man-made, like it's obviously made to be possible to climb. Ah, So, okay. I think you always take away the aspect that it could be impossible because mm-hmm. it's been like man-made to like be possible. So. That's my problem with a lot of spur climbing because there is a lot of chipping that goes on around the world and there's a lot of manufacturing of holds and manipulating holds that no route usually is impossible. If it doesn't go, like, maybe this hole gets a little bigger and maybe there's a little bit of seeker here and then all of a sudden it's possible. Or some places in the world, they actually drill just plain, like, plastic holds under the wall if there's a hole missing. So every route is possible. But in bouldering... That chipping doesn't really exist on a level like that, so you don't know if it's possible or not. And there's always that aspect of, is it possible or not? Truly, mm-hmm. like it's not like is it possible for me, but it's like is it possible in general? And I think that's that's an aspect that really intrigues me. How old are you? Thirty. You're thirty. Is there was there any uh,
1: coming up in bouldering and and watching what's going on? Is was there Anyone out there that that struck you as sort of the, uh, not a mentor, because maybe never even met them, but someone that you looked up to in terms of their ethos with, with bouldering um, and, and maybe kind of put you on a path in terms of wanting to be like that person or people? Maybe For sure. I
0: mean, when I started climbing and in my first years in Finland, you know, it's pretty far removed and internet didn't really exist in that time. So... And you didn't really get many climbing magazines in Finland, and if you did, they were like super outdated. So I didn't really grow up like knowing <laughs> so you about. Like, we so were, we're just, all wearing lycra, is what you're saying? And like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we didn't know about lycra either. Like we were just like <laughs> going back. Yeah, yeah, like go. I mean, no, that it did exist, <laughs> but we just didn't know about it because we didn't have any like. Right. connection to the climbing world, really. No, works. I was just
1: thinking, like, you got some magazine from 1984.
0: Right, know. right. Wow. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this is what people wear. <laughs> no, but it was just, you know, me and a couple of friends, like, going to a little bouldering mm-hmm. cliff, like, just doing our thing. Like, we weren't really concerned about what anyone else in the world right. was doing. But, you know, like, some years in, like, you know, you start hearing about, you know, Fred Nicole and Clem Lascott, like, some of the best boulders at the time. And for sure, like, those two have always been like Clem Loscott to me is the inventor. Of, that was like, a dynam- bit of a leading question, actually. Right. I was wondering if you're going to bring up him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I've known to have like a pretty dynamic climbing style. And I think Clem Loscott to me is like the inventor of like dynamic climbing style, basically. And I've for sure always looked up to him and kind of in a very opposite climbing style Fred Nicole, who's opened some of the hardest boulders in the mm-hmm. world and developed so many bouldering areas just from the traveling aspect, like how many places in the world he's gone to and like sure. open all these areas. So those two people, I'd for sure say, like were a big influence, but not really in like the first few years we were just right. kind of you were just thing, but yeah. eventually, you know, we like found out about these people and they kind of came to be my idols for sure.
1: Well, I asked that question wondering if you would bring him up because I don't know too much about him other than just the profiles that have been done, but just a lot of what you said in the beginning of this, Kind of, uh, it just it felt like it fit in with a lot of what he had talked about in in uh, the profiles I'd read of him and, and the way he approached bouldering and right you know and uh, there's some video of him where he, he's been filming himself doing uh, one of his climbs that wasn't too long ago uh-huh. um, you know and it, maybe yeah and it's just like a like the video shows him like going and setting up the camera and like and then he finally does it and he's just like. And then he walks up and shuts the camera off. Do you know what I'm talking I about? I know exactly. Yeah. I think that's one
0: of the best bits of climbing video I've ever
1: seen in Yeah, my life. and
0: that's what I thought. There was like
1: such this message in, in the way that that worked at the end where he just did it and then he shuts the camera off. And it's, I don't know, I just remember being really struck like that. And when you were talking about the way you were out there climbing in the forest, because that was also in the forest on mm-hmm. some it really put that image in my head of you just out there and
0: that's funny because yeah. that's kind of how exactly how my first descent of burden of dreams ended up being i ended up being alone that day mm-hmm. normally it was out with a camera group but that day i happened to be alone and i just had my little gopro set up and like i did the boulder and in a similar way kind of walk up to the b- camera to shut it off just smiling and mm-hmm. screaming and it was Somehow reminding me of this video of Clem, which is like really one of my favorite videos of yeah, all time. It's he super does cool. the first descent of Google in Austria and finally like jumps down, comes to the camera, says, Danke! Like says, like, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you in German and just shuts off the camera. That's like some of the most raw emotion I've ever seen in a climbing video. Yeah, it's I really super dig cool. it.
1: And, and, I, and I also asked you a little bit earlier about whether this next thing could ever take a, a different form from climbing and knowing that he. You know, he's also a surfer and kind of actually got really into that after a while. Um, He also has a family. And, uh, you know, in terms of your outlook, you're 30, you just said it's, you know, you're not old, but you're, you know, you're 30. So, yeah, what do you think, uh, you know, that path looks like for you in terms of, could you find, do you think you could find yourself moving away from climbing ever? Or is it something that you think is just going to be there always? I mean, he came back to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have no doubts that I'll climb for the rest of my life as long Mm -hmm. as I'm capable of it in any level, for sure. But obviously, you have to branch away from pro climbing at some point. But there's so many ways to do it. I think I've always been really passionate about climbing. So for me, it's, I think, going to be a hard thing to settle down. I think for me, it's always going to be like having a base camp somewhere and traveling out of that place. I don't think I'll ever fully stop traveling, but... Definitely that traveling aspect is always going to be a part of my life. It's almost almost on par for me with climbing alone. Like if I had to choose between traveling or climbing, I think that would be a hard call for me to make. If I was only able to climb for the rest of my life or only able to travel for the rest of my life, I don't know if I'd be able to make that choice. Yeah.
1: Luckily, there's not... I don't know how that would come about. You get to do them both.
0: Luckily, I do. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, cool. Well, thanks a lot for sitting down, Holly. It was super awesome to talk to you. And, and again, like when boulders can express to me and to the audience what it is that's so entangling about that sport, I think we've, we've done some good work here. So,
0: Yeah, thanks a lot. It was good.
1: All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Nale for sitting down. He seemed a little shell-shocked still, didn't he? He's a little bit uh, removed from the normal world. Okay, I haven't told you this in a while, but if you love the EnormaCast, you want to support it, head over to enormacast.com, click on the Help Out tab, do what you can to keep the word spreading. There's apparently 6 million climbers in the United States. I don't know where they come up with that. Hopefully, they don't all show up where I'm climbing, but I would love to have them all show up to the EnormaCast. So, yeah, keep spreading the word because we're not nearly at 6 million. Not even close. Mm -mm. Anyhow, also, you can donate to the podcast over there at EnormaCast.com, too, if you feel like supporting the show monetarily. Helps keep my stoke to stay up late and edit these things going. So, consider it. All right, folks. Head out there. Have some fun. keep your seasonal affective disorder, that's it, your seasonal affective disorder, affective disorder at bay by going climbing, even if it's indoors. Yeah, even if it's indoors. And I think indoor climbing with all those people talking, all those people to look at, music going, everything else, that's probably the most important place. You better check your are not. <laughs> My belief is that all these dreams are are yours as well, and the only distinction between me and you is that I can articulate them, and that is what poetry, or painting, or literature, or filmmaking is all about. It's as simple as that. And I I make films because it is my duty, because this. Uh, might be the the inner chronicle of what we are and we have to articulate ourselves otherwise we would be cows in the field